Welcome back to Camp Half Pod, my fellow demigod fans. This is the show where we talk about the Disney Plus series, Percy Jackson and the Olympians, one episode at a time, except we covered all the episodes, so this is sort of the wrap-up episode. My name is Tyler. I'm Condra. We're the amateur nerds. So yeah, today's episode is a discussion of the like mini documentary making of behind the scenes thing that they released and also our thoughts and predictions for season two if we want to get there. Yeah, the last episode was just too long to do all of it. Yeah, and we are definitely interested in hatching out some of these other details. Condra, where do you think is the best place to start? At the beginning? A very good place to start. Maybe there's <laughs> this documentary so we can... Sure sort of hit some of these topics. Disney Plus has this thing where basically anytime they release a, a sort of new project, there's a propaganda documentary that comes out with it. They've got the whole series of them for Avengers movies yeah. called Assembled. Yep. There's some Mandalorian ones. Yeah. I like them, though. It reminds me. So I was thinking about this the other day. In general, how where you're not buying DVDs anymore, it's all on streaming. You're missing all that fun, the blooper reel. You're missing the how it special was made features. documentary, the, the special features. So I like that they release these documentaries because it is a la old DVDs and doc, and all the, the special features on the second disc. So I like them. Even if I don't watch very many of them, I still like that they do them. Yeah, I, I mean, it's definitely not taking up any space that, like, they don't have. Like, if if there was a limit to the things that could be on Disney+, Plus, which presumably there, like, isn't a significant one. Yeah. Then putting stuff like this on there is fine. And they do do, like, special features. Like, if you, like, click on a, yeah, a movie or a series, there's, like, extras. But just releasing this as its own 50-minute thing makes sense because you can you can populate it in the home screen and take up extra space advertising Percy Jackson, which is this thing that you spent a lot of money on. Mm -hmm. They also seem to just want to sort of flex how much work went into it and how much money they spent, which for this show is an impressive right. thing because yeah. they put a lot of effort into it. Yeah. We love to see it. I think overall, and, and the discussion might be worth having about like, the sort of point that's made in this specific documentary mini featurette about like almost the, the director or like the, the leader of the show, not Rick Riordan and Becky Riordan, the sort of creators, but um, the producing team sort of coming around saying like, you know, this, this shows about people coming together to do great things. And that's what this team did. We all worked together and it came out so well. I think my overall takeaway is like when watching one of these is like, well, that all seems great. I'm sure like everyone had a, a good time making this show. I hope it was actually as good as they said it was and that it wasn't like being grinded under Disney's boot heel or something. Yeah, I think that is some like fairly true based on my seeing Rick talk about it. Like, I saw Rick talking about the, the show completely unrelated to the show. It wasn't at a Comic-Con. It wasn't at a Disney-sponsored... Well, it was kind of a Disney-sponsored event because it was a book. But, like, when I saw Rick talk about the show live and in person and having seen him speak before live and in person, he is very blunt and honest with his opinions. 
in ways that like you can't always trust social media because you don't know who's the one actually doing it. Yeah. But like him to talk on stage about the show and how excited he was and how optimistic he was. And I mean, this was in May of 2023. So I think I think there was actually a lot of good. Like, I think people were excited to be part of the project. If you're thinking about timeline, like some of the folks that are working on the project grew up with it kind of like the way we did. So they've got this inner joy like a lot of the the crew and stuff other than like the guy who did the the set design and st- like the creative designer like were younger folk it wasn't like a bunch of folks that had been like, jaded in the system it was it was the costuming people were younger and the the design people so i think they had some sort of connection to the show or like the actress playing Sally Jackson or Lin-Manuel Miranda saying like, oh, there's someone in my life who this means a lot to. So I want to do right by it. I, I so, yes, I actually agree. I like I, I brought the skepticism forward because I come to most Disney projects with a level of skepticism. And I think there is something special that happened here. And, and I don't want to sound like a chill. I think when you have a project with kids. Mm hmm it brings out the best in people. And the, and the same has been said about the Harry Potter, Harry Potter film yeah. series. Like the adult actors on set seem that much more dedicated and passionate about their craft and about the job because there's kids there and they get to watch these kids grow as actors. And when you see all of these special effects and set design and camera techniques and stunt training from the eyes of a child. Mm-hmm. It, it puts it all into perspective and right. The amount of, the amount of safety and care that has to be put into everything that like, just to make sure that Walker and Leah and Aryan don't get hurt. Like yeah. that's, I think that's what brings the best out in a project like this. So that was one of my big takeaways from watching the series is like, Oh, they they were doing a lot of these things for the right reasons, both because of their fondness for the book series and Rick Riordan's just earnest devotion to his fans, devotion to his fans. (laughs) But also like because you want to do right by these kids who are putting their entire lives into this. Yeah. Yeah. Getting to see Walker, Leah and Arian just like behind the scenes. They were so cute and excited. Like it was like, oh, I'm glad to see as a first big project, this isn't something like they're feeling fulfilled. It's interesting, too, because you see what parts of them are acting and not acting Mm -hmm. on on screen when they stick their tongue out because they realize the camera is rolling. And I think this is the other big thing in watching the documentary. And and they, they do this intentionally. They sort of like make little segments that are based around each of the three of them and Walker gets kind of a little bit more to play with than the other two. Yeah. But they also get their parents to do little talking head appearances to talk about like how proud they are of their kid and what their kid was like while they were shooting and what the kid was like when they found out that they got the job or like stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And it was cool to see how proud the parents were of them. And at the end, there's a moment of Walker's dad getting emotional. Yeah. About, his son, like, finding his true purpose and stuff like that. <laughs> but it was yeah. also interesting because they they show Walker being, like, 
really amazing at like learning stunt work and learning how to shoot underwater. And the camera, like his passion for the camera. But then they bring the, the yeah, the set teachers have a little segment and they're like, oh yeah, Walker really liked the, all the stuff with the cameras. And so we would give him time to like explore that stuff. And, and this is also a thing that happens with like child actors is like, they spend a lot of time on sets and then they realize that they prefer doing this specific aspect mm-hmm. that's maybe not the on-screen appearances. So I'd be curious to see how the young man who plays Percy moves on with his career mm-hmm. if he stays in front of the camera or decides to move behind the camera full time if he stays in show business at all. Yeah. Anything like any I guess we could kind of just hit the big things that happened in the documentary. <laughs> I yeah, I mean, I thought the I'm always one who likes like all the talks about the sets and the props and the design work that goes into it. And for them to like be like, oh, yeah, we got the guy who did The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings movies to do the design work here. And I was like, okay, I totally see that. Like, there's definitely that proximity in in looks to to call for that. And the the studio that they worked at, the, the screen... They were in like this immersive. It was called like the volume or something. Yeah, the volume stage. And it had this incredible projection of of where, wherever they were. They were, instead of having to shoot on location or doing green screens, the actors could see their surroundings and then they could manipulate it on screen to do appropriate depths of field and that kind of stuff. And it that was a really, really cool. And I thought the car, like how they did the car chase with the Minotaur, there was a lot of cool, seems like step forward, steps forward in production with this series. Like thinking back to when we used to watch all like the Star Wars prequel behind the scenes where they were just yeah, like those on are all green screen, yeah. blue and green like that was very underwhelming but to see them like see the trees and also watch them adapt in time as they're shooting and being like oh the surroundings are shifting with them it's it's kind of that layering that happens behind the camera is happening live which is super cool i i thought yeah. just like the the visuals the the talk of all the effects and props and stuff was really neat i Agree completely. This um, this soundstage thing where you can you know live project backgrounds and also move like like you move physical pieces of the set to be in the set, but then you also have the background, and that does a more convincing job of creating visual layers and making everything seem realistic without having to go off on location. And right, shooting on a green screen and shooting on a soundstage has never been like a bad thing. That's always no. been what movies did. Mm-hmm. And so if anything, this is a step up it, because a green screen causes like requires the actor to use completely their imagination. Mm-hmm. And it has a tendency of making things look bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's clear separation between where the actors are and the space. It's so different than performing in front of a matte painting or, Having like the actors having to do the visual, the imaginative legwork always comes a little short. But they have this scene of you know the kids in Asphodel, and there's all these trees and human people dressed up as the Asphodel tree goblin things. <laughs> and shades. most, yeah, shades. Um, and most of the set is actually built up, but then in the background, 
there's just a digital projection. And because it's a fantasy series and you're in all these different locations all the time, that's a perfectly reasonable way to do it. And mm-hmm. I guess it's it's no different than green screen technology, but it, it really does feel that much better because some of the things that they showed that they were, were doing on the soundstage, one would think they had shot on yeah, location. Absolutely. Like the Luke and Percy fights or even like the Ares fight, those were all on that soundstage. And I'm like, I thought they were in an actual wood or on a beat. Like the set design was really strong there. Yeah. So I'm definitely curious to see like, you know, where filmmaking goes with that style of soundstage it seemed like there weren't that many of them no. around yeah they were, they at were one like, in toronto yeah yeah they they made a big deal of this being one of the first tv shows to use this tech so that was definitely an impressive thing and then they they go through a lot of the beats of all of the different aspects of the show like creature um, design. They have, like, like they trot out the acting teacher and it's like he seems he was cool. a little yeah but like also like we didn't need to spend five minutes on him. The the music at the end, I was like, yeah, this is cool. But also like it's music. I like music, but this isn't moving the needle for me personally. Yeah, I still every time the Percy Jackson theme starts, I think I'm on test track. Like it is such Epcot music that I I, I always catch myself. I'm like, is this the Epcot music? Nope. Nope. This is Percy Jackson. But and it also sounds like Alan Silvestri's Avengers score that yeah. So it's not yeah, it's not breaking new ground. But I think the music in the show is effective. It's not oh, like absolutely. the music is bad, but like the theme music could be better. <laughs> it just as an identifier for the show, it doesn't sound original. It's not like the Star Wars tra- where it's like, oh, that's only one thing. Yeah, it's just generic action fantasy music. Uh, the other s- sections in the show that I liked, besides just talking about the kids, were the underwater portion yeah. and the um, the fight choreography portion with Adam Copeland. Mm-hmm. Just because yep. we got to see like how much of a ringer <laughs> Walker Scoble was put through, yeah, and how committed he was to doing everything. Mm-hmm. When they change the fight while they're actively filming, and that he's like, he's like, "Yep, I got this. Like, let's go." Yeah, Walker's tenacity to just meet everyone where they're at and be like, okay, let's let's do this it was it was impressive. Like he's a he's a talented action actor. Like not every actor does their own stunts so willingly. Yeah, and and there were there were various moments throughout the documentary where you saw the saw stunt his, doubles yeah. standing next to yeah. the main actors. And it was like but they didn't give the stunt doubles like a moment to re- really like no. say anything or mm-hmm. like say like, oh, and this is where we switched from the actor to the stunt double. Like, yeah, Leo on- was the only one that was like, and this is my stunt double kind of thing. Which I mean, good for her for doing that. Like, but yeah, that was weird. I was like, why show me their stunt doubles and then not talk to them where we've talked to like everyone else? Yeah. And maybe stunt doubles have like a, a code where that's like you don't like you don't do anything in the documentary you stay on the sidelines pretend you're not there that's but that we we know that's not true from other things yeah exactly the um the adam copeland stuff was fun because yeah. the the kids were all joking like no he actually is scary i don't need to act to pretend to be scared uh-huh. of him 
<laughs> yeah. But he seemed like he was being really gentle. And I think this is something you get with like wrestlers is like they are extremely professional and they know their bodies so well. Yeah. And you have to like whether you're a good or bad guy on the wrestling stage, like you have to be a good person off the stage because it's all teamwork and Mm -hmm. making the show work, especially if you're someone who's successful in the business. Like, yeah. And then there was the Lin-Manuel Miranda part where they're like, well, we're on this casino set, which was like built into an unused mall. Yeah. And we, we got Lin here and they were like, oh, it's perfect casting. It's he's so perfect. <laughs> he was there for two days. I don't know if you heard that. <laughs> yes, I did hear that line. I was like, all of like, his shooting took two days. Makes and sense. And that's a wrap on Lin. Thank you. He says, these were the happiest two days of my life. They have to include that clip, but he's also telling on himself. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that he Arian was interviewing him and he was like, yeah, I didn't know about Percy Jackson until my kids were like old enough to actually. And I was like, oh, right. His kids are older now. Like they were little when Hamilton was first coming out. So, yeah, they're older. They're old enough now for Percy. I also well, got he didn't such know a... much about Greek mythology at all, he said, which yeah. is interesting. I also got such a kick of Walker being like, yeah, I used to love them in third grade. <laughs> like, and that classic teen fashion where they're like, yeah, way back when, five years ago. I didn't think that he was being too denigrating no, with that statement, no, though. No, he was no, saying, no, I love them. I like third grade was when he fell in love with them and he continues to love them. No, I know. But it just always cracks me up when teens are reflective like that. And they're like, <laughs> it was so long ago. And it was like Back two when years I was ago. nine. Yeah, yeah. And when I was a naive child who didn't know the reality about the world. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, that that is funny. But you were going to say something about Lynn. I'm sorry, I took us off the rail for a sec. No, I was going to say something about the Aryan interviewing Lynn that seems like they did like a mini setup a little bit here with all of the all of the the, the lead three actors almost having a thing that they were doing. Like, yeah. oh, let's set up this Aryan interview with Lynn. Let's have Walker sort of walk around with a camera and do like his perspective on the on the shoot. Yeah, Walker also interviewed Adam. Yeah, that too. It it seems like they could have done more with the like, let's let's bring out these kids' personalities in the behind the scenes thing. Yeah, like giving them little mini featurettes to add to the special special features, like you would see if the special features were like divided up into six different things. Mm-hmm. But they just combine them all into one big thing. And I think. Back, this is circling back like 15 minutes in the conversation. I think the weakness of this documentary behind the scenes is that it's 50 minutes long and it's it bounces between every topic. And it would be better just to like make things a little bit more focused and like have six different 10 minute documentaries or one five minute documentary and one 15 minute like that's what's nice about special features usually on a disc is that it leans into a specific topic. Yeah, I see what you're saying. The uh, the yeah, the set design. They talked about setting the cabins up in the woods and how that field really felt really natural. And I liked the detail with the sword that Rick pointed out that he's like, yeah, for Riptide, I was very insistent. It looked like a 30 cent pen, but they added this really cool detail that the clip is the shape of the blade. And I really like that. 
like mentioning as well. While watching the documentary and seeing the sort of behind the scenes footage of the fight choreography, it uh, actually crystallized really well in my head, like why short swords are useful Mm -hmm. in battle. Like, because when you picture, I don't know, when I picture like a standard sword, I picture like sort of a knight long sword, like maybe a one handed long sword, but still like. It's four feet long. Yeah, or even like a a Link from Zelda sword, which is like not a short sword. It's like meant to be a normal sized sword. But you see with the like the gladius length swords and the, you know, the shorter swords that they're using here in Greek design. It's like, oh, you can really get a lot more creative and up close and personal with these Mm -hmm. fights. It looks good for fights. It's more natural flowing and movement with your arm. Mm-hmm. You don't have to use two hands to do things. Yeah. It just looks really good. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I also tying into something I said in the last episode we talked about where I was saying how this episode in particular, uh, episode eight in particular is an indicator of how good Percy will become with sword fighting. Like Walker is a good cast for if, if if they're going the distance with this show and like Percy's sword skills just increase over time, like Walker has that athletic ability that I think it will not only be true for Percy as a character on screen that his sword fighting will get better, but also for Walker as an actor, like he will become a very skilled weapon actor. <laughs> yeah. I think the big thing with the documentary and sort of the final thrust that maybe we can transition out of with is it seems like Leah and Arian and Walker are really connected to their characters. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's the Disney propaganda being like, you know, Leah, she's so hardworking and focused and smart. And Walker, like he's goofy, but really insightful. And Arian, he's the, he's the heart and soul of the production. Like, I don't know if that's like just, you know, a self-fulfilling prophecy that they were doing or, you know, sometimes these things just line up and add up so well. Yeah. I mean, you saw that with the Harry Potter trio. Not to compare, like, we keep going back to the Harry Potter trio, but it is very similar in that we're likely going to see these folks grow up in front of the camera as their characters do and, like, see how they transform into people. What was almost interesting about the Harry Potter trio was we you have short King Daniel Radcliffe, right? Absolutely. We love him. And his his lack of stature and like the fact that he doesn't he doesn't look like a Tom Cruise or a Brad Pitt. He's not like mm-hmm. or even a Keanu Reeves, like in terms of like a an audience surrogate leading man, like blank protagonist, he really was able to shape something that was his own. You felt that Daniel Radcliffe's Harry Potter was the Harry Potter that only he could create. Yeah. And that felt important because it it emphasized the 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 actor behind the character. People know who Daniel Radcliffe is and he's not necessarily synonymous with Harry Potter. And it, he, I mean he is in the same way that Mark Hamill is synonymous with Luke Skywalker, but but he's also finding these avenues for himself that he feels fulfilled and he's not just relying on laurels. Yeah. And so it, I, I guess in the Harry Potter 
trio, like, yeah, they kind of like fit into their character roles, but they, they also, the actor also shapes what that character role was. Mm -hmm. It wasn't prescribed for them. They sort of became like the characters became the actors as much as the actors became the characters. Yeah. Um, And this happened a little bit because the movies were uh, shooting before the books were finished publishing. Yeah. So who knows where that line went? Mm hmm. It's going to be interesting with the Percy Percy Jackson kids because, uh, like, how much are they going to be able to change the the character, like our perceptions of the characters, by just being themselves? Yeah, we know their path. Will their paths vary because of who the actors are? Which we've talked about during this season that yes, we saw differences in the characters versus the books to suit this newer era to suit these actors to to suit changes in Percy Jackson over time but never at the detriment of the overall storytelling i think i think any updates that will occur because of the actors only are going to enhance the story on a whole like we're not going to regress and percy's not going to be a misogynist who doesn't consider his friends like he's influenced by by his actions and by the events that take place like i think we're gonna still see that i think there's also something interesting on social media people have like found clips of these three actors like doing previous projects or just like being goofy on social media the mac and cheese one kills me i don't know if yeah that's from a ryan reynolds movie yeah but the idea of like, oh, these kids are being acknowledged as their their actor selves outside of their Percy Jackson selves. And even though they seem to line up so strongly with the characters, like they're already being seen as humans outside of their mm-hmm. characters. And yeah, I, again, I'm looking forward to seeing what they bring to the table to interpret the characters and cause the characters to to grow. What's interesting is people look at Leah and Aryan and Walker and they, they see they are the characters too. Like, yeah, I think people have enough trust in these three actors that anything that they decide to do, people are going to be on board with. Mm-hmm. And if things are different, people are going to say, Oh, you know what? I'm going to assume that these people know what they're doing yeah, and trust them as opposed to just pointing out something because it was different. Like, you're not perfect as you're not the exact thing that I imagine this character to be. So you're terrible. I think people will be a little bit more forgiving as things go on. I think it's not just the actors like in thinking about this in relation to the movie, which we do occasionally. Rick is also involved. Like we know they're at the core of it. The integrity of the concept is there. Like someone is there to withhold the integrity of the, the IP. So even when the actors are also adding their spin to it, like the fans like me are also assured that the creator is there to make sure that things, even if they change, it's for the betterment of the story. And I, I trust the opinions of, of Rick and Becky here. Yeah. All right. I think we can move on to sort of our ideas for season two. Yeah, I think we also hit like overall thoughts about the show a little bit throughout our talk on the dock. But yeah, 
I guess just a, do a, we should probably do like a quick, like, did you end up enjoying the show overall? I know we had our like, oh, this was the best episode talk as we were covering them, but what were your overall thoughts? You glad it exists? Definitely glad it exists because seeing these three actors get to shine as these characters really warms my heart. I think the thing that I I think about, like, just as someone who's been following the sort of the social media reactions, I think this overall trend, and it's something we pointed out in our discussions, is people are, like, a little snarky about, like, the show, the characters in the show, like, knowing the situation before they go into it. Mm-hmm. And I think I've come out pretty strongly, like, in support of that concept. Yeah. Because one, it matches the intelligences of the characters that we have established. Mm-hmm. And two, it brings us to a second layer of interpretive discussion of the characters and the relationships between them. When Percy meets Medusa, it's more fun if they can have a sort of philosophical discussion about the gods' relationship to mortals and punishment versus blessing than just like, ooh, spooky snake lady. Like, yeah, I that is kind of my big takeaway from the show. And the like one of the big reasons that I'm happy with it is because they they went one step further than they had to to make it feel worthwhile, because if it was just a quote unquote faithful adaptation of the original series, it might feel like a waste of time. Right. Because we've we've. We can read the books if we want to have that. If if your only trouble is that you want to see something on screen because you don't feel like rereading the book again, I don't know. Like, TV shows aren't supposed to just be the same as the books. Yeah. So overall, I'm definitely on board with this show, excited for anything it has coming. I don't think it changed my worldview or changed my, like, excitedness about Disney Plus or like the overall world of Percy Jackson fandom. I think it just did the job it set out to do very well. What about you? I agree with you. I It took me a long time to, and I, I don't think I'm always there, that changing the actor, the character's interactions with the scenes and the monsters and I, I appreciate their awareness and their knowledge. I think it's a better reflection of their later characters in the book series. But at the same time, I think for this story, this version of it, I think it works really well. And it gives Percy and Annabeth and Grover depth that it took a long time to get to in the book. So I think kind of jumping a little bit there is great for the characters because then we can just see how emotionally rich they will become if they're already here like oh we're going to we're going to taste all those flavors when we get to the later later seasons i think i i get what you're saying where it is different than the books um but at the same time like part of the fun of a an adaptation is seeing how your beloved scene is is recreated. I just something for me that I think it comes down to with my qualms is I don't know if it's silly enough. I am tired <laughs> of 
and and this is a complaint I have made on many a show that we don't need to be so dark and gritty. It can be lighthearted without being a sitcom. Like you can have your silly, funny moments because they're silly, funny kids. And like seeing them in the documentary, like goofing around and stuff, I was like, great. I, it's good to know they like have senses of humor and like love being on set because sometimes it was like so serious. I'm just thinking like the crusty scene still. Like I'm still kind of hung up on that because that was such like, okay, you included it because. You had the time and the ability to, but it didn't serve its purpose in in the overall storytelling. It was just kind of a blip on the map in this version of the story, as opposed to showing Annabeth and Percy's relationship, like their their friendship deepen because of that. So that's where I'm. I I'm so enjoying the actors i'm so enjoying seeing this stuff on screen i think the visuals are great i'm i'm so excited to see where it goes i just i'm a huge fan of the rickverse and percy in general like i just percy jackson will always hold a special place in my heart i just sometimes i just want it to be a little sillier than it is I guess there's this premise with the book sort of like, okay, our, we're going to put our characters into this ridiculous situation that is dangerous to their lives, but also like it's the premise of the book. Like they always get into these dangerous situations and come out of it unscathed or partially scathed. Yeah, they're alive still. And it there were definitely points in the show where it's like, okay, this is the silly situation you put your characters into. But maybe they didn't go as far as they could. I'm thinking also of like the Tunnel of Love. Yeah. And the Waterland stuff and the Krusty stuff. I think the Medusa thing was great. I think the Chimera stuff, while that episode was kind of overall a a little underwhelming because it didn't feel like it was sort of delivering on the premise of the show. I think that one was actually an interesting one because they didn't really know what they were up against with the Chimera. And that one was almost a little bit more true to the book. Mm Mm-hmm. I, it was funny. Our parents were, our parents are horribly behind on the show, and um, they were watching the Chimera episode last night while I was watching the documentary. And I actually gained a little appreciation for that episode watching it, like kind of through their eyes. I was also watch watching the documentary while they were talking about the water scene at the same time, which was kind <laughs> of wild. And I was like, okay, I, I now see how this fits in the whole story. Like, okay. I think the casino stuff is maybe the most disappointing where mm-hmm. it's like, this is the place where like there's a, an extremely memorable and potentially hilarious setup that kind of duds other than the car stuff at the very end. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think overall I'm going to give the series like a solid 8.5 out of 10. Like I, <laughs> I will probably rewatch it. Like it'll be on in the background while I'm editing or doing other stuff like it's a good time and the visuals are good and the acting's great and i let's talk about season two if it ever comes yeah season two and i think on that same topic season two based on the sea of monsters presumably yes is sort of a jaunt around the ocean to all these different sort of odyssey island based things and this is i mean similar to the first season you can kind of do like a sort of monster of the week type thing Mm -hmm. or intrigue of the week type thing. And it almost seems like a better setup for 
the the jokes and the the comedy because it's like oh this week we're in this situation and this week we're in that situation and it does like I don't know what the deadline situation is with the Sea of Monsters. It's Grover survival. <laughs> but it seems like you can do all of those bits earnestly one at a time and yeah. let each one exist for its own sake. Yeah. I my my appreciation of the book Sea of Monsters has grown over time, especially as I I deepened my classics knowledge and I think I think this season's going to be a ton of fun. I see like there was originally like my brain was a little skeptical on like, oh, do Grover and Percy is it believable enough that they'll have the connection that they need for this series to work? And I totally like Arian and Walker seem like great pals and like I their on-screen chemistry is great, so I totally see the empathy link stuff working. I think the effects are strong enough that I'm not super nervous about Polyphemus being weird looking on screen. I think with how well they did Medusa, I think Calypso is going to be a killer episode. Like there's and like even their slight reference to Bianca and Nico in the casino. I think if they wanted to drop hints, (laughs) if they wanted to drop hints with Rhea and her sister, That could totally work. Um, I can't remember Rhea's sister's name, which is bothering me right now, but uh, excuse me, Raina. Like, there's so much that they've affirmed that they can do those things that I'm like, yes, this season will be well constructed, well done. Like, the jokes are going to hit. I think it is a little more serious than the first book. So I and they're they're handling the serious stuff very well that I just I see this overall being a good experience. Maybe I need to go back and reread these books. I worry that like the potential for the show to lean into the the goofiness and the situational comedy, as it were, of the Percy Jackson stuff with going to the islands and doing the Odyssey stuff is like that's definitely there. I worry that the second season will not build up enough momentum to go forward. I don't know exactly what happens in the second book to be like, okay, and then this is where we keep going in the future. I guess maybe because the thing that I think a lot of people are looking forward to with regard to the show is like introducing the other characters like Nico, like Thalia, like some of the other things that happen in the later books that Sea of Monsters is is great, but it's kind of just a repeat of number one. And it yeah. doesn't necessarily go into the the big lore stuff that a lot yeah. of people come to the Percy Jackson series for. Kronos is less in this book than he was in the first book. Although the overall efforts of the camp, like why they're on this quest, does have direct correlations to the eventual eventual fight with Kronos. It's just they're they're collecting a magic item. Because the of golden fleece kind of thing. They are. Yeah, it's the golden fleece. So I didn't know if you remembered that. So I didn't want to be like. I did remember that one. Okay. Yeah. Because Thalia has been poisoned by Kronos or Luke. The tree. Technically. Yeah. But yeah, Thalia the tree has been poisoned by Luke slash Kronos. So they need to go collect the golden fleece to save Thalia and the camp. Because Thalia protects the camp. So. Yeah. I, I, I see what you're saying, that it is not as big world building. Like, it's kind of like 
books one and two of Harry Potter in that, like, it's essentially the same fight at the end of both of them where it's like, oh, we're fighting a version of Voldemort without big world stakes. Like, no one else knows that it's Voldemort yet. And then the third one is where you, like, add the character that really matters. and and they're fighting Titans and it, it gets big. Yeah. And that makes sense for, like, you know, middle fiction and, like, literature. Like, yeah, the mm-hmm. second one is a little bit of a repeat, but maybe the stakes get a little higher. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, are there any other, like, bold predictions that you want to make, like, specifically about something? Like, oh, they're not going to do Cersei and the guinea pigs. I meant Cersei earlier, not Calypso. Calypso is not until much later. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was going to correct you, but I wasn't 100% sure. Calypso is in the third she, book? She pops Fourth up. Fourth book? She pops she up. Is, yeah, she's there. It just, I don't think it's in Sea of Monsters. Ooh, any big, big, big swipes. Um, Maybe about Tyson, the, yeah, the little Cyclops. I was, I was just thinking, like, yeah, I was thinking Tyson. I'm like, because they're rescuing Grover, they had to replace the third person in their trio with Tyson and I just love Ari I'm like gonna be bummed not to see Arian as much but we still see him quite a bit because of his empathy link but actually what I was gonna go is I think they've already kind of bit the bullet on a on Persebeth so I don't know if the Cersei stuff is gonna hit as hard as their like first moment of realizing they like each other because they keep they kept flirting with it throughout the whole first season. So I don't know if, if Persebeth is going to hit as hard in this second book. I think it, I think it still has the potential because in a book, like if the book doesn't mention like, Oh, her eyelashes fluttered or, or his heartbeat picked up when he saw her, like then you're not getting those like clues about like whether the boy character and the girl character might like each other. But in a show where you see them hug each other in like a scene where it's very natural for two characters to hug, you're like, oh, oh, I know the backstory. I know like what's going to happen. Yeah. But real, I think textually they there's less of the like, oh, they like each other than one might think. I think you can chalk it all up to a growing friendship between two people who started out pretty cold. Okay. And, you know, they're they're 12 or 13. I mean, the actors are a little older, like. Yeah, Walker turned 13 on set that year. It's perfectly reasonable for them to be like, oh, I'm not sure what it means to like someone versus be friends with them. Yeah. And exploring that boundary, that line is definitely going to be interesting. Okay. I I mean, I don't remember enough specifically about the book to like be like, I think they're going to do this. What I What I want out of season two and future seasons is a little bit more camp stuff, more time if not more time in camp, just more of the like camp lore or getting to meet other campers. Yeah. That's definitely later seasons of the, like that's, that is what some of the other books do, especially four. Four does that a lot. I think that's just stuff that's interesting to me. Maybe more stuff with the Oracle and the prophecies. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously. Yeah. That stuff all comes down the line. Very curious to see what they do with Sally in the future seasons because she is such a big part of the story of the first season. But 
not as prominent going mm-hmm. forward. Yeah. Especially because Sally's kind of like a fan favorite for people of the shows. Like everyone thinks that Sally is the perfect representation of the book character. Yeah. And and maybe even just getting more references to the Greek mythology and, and more characters because the first season here, like we had, you know, a Hermes bit and we have a Medusa bit and we have Hades and Cerberus and stuff like that and Ares. Those are big ones. Those are ones yeah. that are pretty easy to cash in on. Yeah. Getting to see Circe and getting to see Charybdis or whatever. Like, yep, yep. <laughs> these things are going to be interesting. It's it's more chances for us to be fascinated with the world and mm-hmm. explore. So, And uh, it's also impossible to shoot on water. Like one of those things that you're never supposed to do is film in boats. So. Yeah. Curious to see how this one goes. Yeah. I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be a good time. All right. Any other final thoughts on season one or anything else? No, I, I think, um, I think I said all my bits and, um, we'll, we'll see if this, this here series continues Camp Half Pod, because if there's no season two, then this was a, <laughs> a quick nine episodes. Oh, I guess there's also something about like the overall trajectory of the show and if they are going to do like all five seasons to represent the five books in the series, if they were going to ever possibly go beyond that to do the Heroes of Olympus series, which I would I would lose my mind if they did Heroes of Olympus. Yeah, I think people who are fans of Percy Jackson are like really fans of the Heroes of Olympus series. Like the people that get to that series, like really love that that it keeps going and just, that there's yeah, ten books so and the rich. last five of them are that strong. It's so rich, and you get even more. Like Percy and Annabeth are still such strong characters, and Nico, and but you then get these other characters that are foil. Ugh, I I could I could talk about these books way too long. <laughs> and way too often. So, so um, I, I'm not opposed yeah. to like combining seasons or shortening things. Like, I think there's a way to tighten I, it up a little bit. I don't know. That's where I am. I think there's too much emotional development that it would hurt. Like, you wouldn't get the fullest character. Like, combining three and four, which I could see happening. Or four and five. Or four and five, I think would be a detriment. Because... The Labyrinth is such a cool setting and has that still that monster of the week kind of thing. But also, like, the characters are more complex and the stakes are much higher. Like, I think I think the pacing of the books is so strong that to, to disregard the pacing there would hurt the show. I mean, I think the, o- like, the only option would be, like, if they manage to fit something into like a 12 episode season, like if they yes. can expand the number of episodes and say like, Hey, it's going to be six and six and they could even do s- split season episodes like, Oh, six episodes come out in June. And then the other six episodes come out in December. Like there mm-hmm. are TV shows that do that. So yeah. Anyway. All right. So let's wrap it up. Plug the pluggables. Social media at amateur nerds on Instagram. At Wildcat Minute on Tumblr, because we also talk about High School Musical here. You can email us at amateurnerdspresent at gmail.com. If you, if pe- enough people send in their thoughts, we could do another episode about like sharing other people's thoughts. Or if one of our former guests of the show wants to come on and, and share their thoughts, 
let us know. Yeah. But until then, we've been very excited to talk about this series with you, and we hope we can return to Camp Half-Bod. Condra, promise me that we'll meet here next year and talk about Percy Jackson some more. I would be honored. Wow. Okay. Well, I've been Tyler. I've been Condra. And we'll see you next week to talk about High School Musical. We're all in this together. We're all in this together. <laughs>